0: We continue our series on our core values this week. Pastor Drew Martin is over in the auditorium and he's delivering a message, participation over observation. And he'll be here in the sanctuary next week to deliver that message. So I offer to you, don't go out and watch it online. Wait to hear him live. It's a powerful message. Today, I will be sharing with you People matter, and as we prepare to hear from God this morning through me, would you pray with me now? Gracious God, we come before you at this time humbled. We open our hearts to receive you. We open our eyes to see you through your word vividly. We open our ears to hear you. May your living word of truth not come back empty to you. Amen. Doesn't it feel good when you sense that you matter to someone? Doesn't it feel good? Well, as I was preparing this message, I started thinking about my long life And there are a number of times that I have sensed feeling good about myself and feeling appreciated and that I mattered. But I always go back to a memory in my early 40s. My husband, Mike, was co-scoutmaster at my home church, Rehoboth United Methodist Church, over by Columbia Mall and he was co-scout master with Wayne McDaniel, and we had a pretty big troop at that time. In fact, our son Tyler was a scout at that time, and they had planned a four-day hike up through Camp Daniel Boone into the Pisgah Forest of North Carolina. And so, I went to my husband after the plan was put in place, and I said, Mike, I'm your wife, I'm Tyler's mother, I'd like to go. And he said, really? Do you know what you're in for? And I said, well, we're going to hike a while, right? He said, yeah, it's going to be a 10-mile hike, and you need a backpack, and it's going to be heavy. And so, I said, okay, I need to get prepared, right? So, I bought a backpack, I got all my gear and put it in there, and it weighed about 30 pounds. And so, I figured I better get used to wearing that thing on my back. So, I get up early in the morning, strap it on, and start walking around my neighborhood. People would be going to work some early, watching me do this day after day for two weeks, and I'm sure they thought, we always knew that that blonde was a little ditzy, (laughs) but what in the world is she up to? Well, I thought I got myself in pretty good shape to get ready for this hike. Well, the day came, we were at Camp Daniel Boone, and here we go embarking. Upon this journey, Mike and Wayne were at the front, and here come the boys behind them. And I was at the tail end, which was fine with me, because I figured I'd get my own pace. Well, it wasn't long into the hike that things started getting steep. Steep. And not only was I trudging along, but I had to start using my fingers and Fingernails to grab rocks and twigs to try to pull myself up to the next ledge. Rocks were coming into my face. Twigs were falling everywhere. I was slipping backwards. Little boy, Greg Smith, he was about 10 at the time, looked back, saw all the struggle that I had, and he said, Miss Faye, I'll help you. Watch me. He started making sure that he could find a secure rock and he would point to that for me to grab hold of. He was just right in front of me. Same thing with twigs so that I had something secure to hold on to as I went forward. When we leveled off a little ways, there were so many leaves and pine straw around. That got slippery, almost fell a couple of times. So he started knocking it all out of the way scraping it out of the way for me to have a clear path to go forward. Little Greg did that up the trail, also back down the trail when we came back to where we started. It was a little thing to him. He probably forgot about it shortly after. I never forgot about it because he made me feel valued, valued that a little boy would look out for me On the trail I was his personal little project (laughs) he wanted to make sure I stayed safe God sees and values people my friends how do we know that all we have to do is open God's word of truth to Genesis because in the beginning God created humanity and said humanity is very good and I've created it in my own image. What does that mean? He gave us his character, his character of love and compassion to reach out. How do you think we did with that? Not so hot, right? Number one, we sinned. Number two, we didn't follow any of the rules and commandments that he gave us. We didn't listen to any of his prophets along the way, right? (laughs) So I can just imagine God sitting back and, you know, I got to do something else. They're not listening to me. They're not following my rules or listening to my prophets. I'll send my son, Jesus, my only son. I'll send him in love. I will send him, and he will teach them, and he will go to a cross and give his life for their sins so that believing in him, they would have everlasting life. That's what our God did for us. God sees and values people that much. Jesus values people too. The scripture for us from Matthew today gives us a classic example of Jesus interacting with someone in need. Someone, interestingly enough, that was on the fringes of society. Number one, she was a woman. And women in those days were very low on the social ladder. As a matter of fact, there wasn't much lower than a woman, maybe a child, a servant, a slave. So she had one strike against her. Number two, she had an issue. We all have issues, right? But her issue was physical, and it was a bleeding hemorrhage wasn't for a week or two or a month or two. It was 12 years she had this issue. And I would invite you to go to the Gospel of Mark, the fifth chapter this week, and read a little bit more of her story. It's fleshed out in Mark 5. She had gone to doctor after doctor after doctor. They couldn't help her. She'd spent all her money, And she didn't get better. She got worse. You can imagine how hopeless she felt. Because you see, the laws in that day said that if you had an issue of blood, you were unclean. You were not to interact with society. She would have been forbidden by Jewish law to even come into that crowd she did out of desperation I wonder how she heard about Jesus she heard enough about him to have a little bit of faith enough faith to maybe crawl on her hands and knees through the crowd hoping never to be seen by anybody that knew the problem she had she didn't go up to his face She came up behind him. She didn't touch him. She touched the hem of his garment. They say in those days there were tassels. And so she probably grabbed on to one of his tassels. Believing, she said to herself, if I can only touch the hem of his garment, I believe I will be healed. Amen? Oh, but we would have a little bit of faith like that. Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. What's significant about that? Well, again, if you go back and read Matthew, that ninth chapter, I would invite you to read a little bit before this story and a little bit after. Because you see, this story is sandwiched in something that will make it even more significant. Jesus had left the house of the publican Matthew, and he was on his way to heal Jairus's daughter. He was on a mission. Have you ever been on a mission? Have you ever had something so important to do? You were just focused. I've been told by Pastor Jeff, I walk fast. And I do. And sometimes I get so focused. I'm on my way. I don't stop for anything. And while that can be good to be focused, it's a double-edged sword because how many times do I miss something along the way? Jesus stopped. But not only did he stop in his tracks, Jesus saw the woman and had compassion on her. He didn't condemn her for touching the cloak of his garment because, you see, even her touching the hem of his garment would have made him ceremonially unclean, and he would have had every right to condemn her for that. He didn't do that. She was not invisible to him. You see, she had been invisible to society for 12 years. Shunned, unclean, untouchable. Don't come around us. Stay in your house. He turned society's view upside down. He did that a lot. You know, it's one thing for us to have sympathy on somebody. Sympathy saying, well, you know, Mary, that sure is a bad thing that Susie's been sick for a long time, isn't it? I feel so sorry for her, don't you? We have those kinds of conversations, don't we? That's sympathy. But compassion is something different. Compassion is love in action. Love in action. True compassion reaches out to all people and does something to help them. It's the ability to come alongside someone and put their needs actually before our needs. And that's what Jesus did. He had a need. He had a need to go and heal. But he put that need aside for a moment to help someone that he really saw. Our compassion is often conditional. Our compassion is often conditional. Our love, our coming alongside someone else is often set around some standards that come with it, standards that we've put in place. Does the person behave the way we think that they should behave? Do they look and think the way we think they should think? Do they dress and smell the way we do? Do they come from our side of town? We're also so self-consumed with our own lives and our own selves that we miss those opportunities that are right around us. This brings up another question. We know that Jesus saw her. What about you? Is there somebody that you see? Is there somebody that you have seen that you need to reach out to? Do we really see people or do we have blinders on? And walk right by a need that's right in our face or right next to us. Have you ever felt a nudge from the power of the Holy Spirit? You see, as Christians, the Holy Spirit lives in us. And the Holy Spirit gives us tender little nudges every now and then. Have you ever had that little thought Mm, I really need to call Mary. Something tells me to call Mary. Something tells me to go visit Sue. Those are nudges from the Holy Spirit. Do you pay attention to them? It can happen with people you know, family members, people you're acquainted with, and guess what? People that you don't even know at all. This week, Mike and I were out for a bite of breakfast, and our waitress came to the table. And she had a strained look on her face. And I said, how are you doing this morning? She said, fine. I said, you look like you're in pain. There's squint. She said, well, ma'am, I've got carpal tunnel in this right hand, and I'm lifting all these dishes on a long shift all week. I know I need to get some surgery. It's in pain. I'm trying to shuffle things back and forth. So here, by asking a simple question, how are you really? (laughs) I had an opportunity to come alongside her. You know, it works the other way too, my friends. Do we allow people to see us? Do we allow people to see us? We're pretty good at hiding our feelings and what's going on in our lives. I often call it wearing a happy mask. We put our nice little outfits on and we smile and we walk along and really things aren't so fine at all, are they? Many of you know that a little over a year ago, my husband, Mike, had a massive heart attack. He nearly died. He was at Duke Hospital for several months in ICU. The first few weeks, at least, I spent very little time in his room, was not allowed to, had very little teeny snippets of time with my husband. I was out in the waiting room most of the time and I guess it must have shown on my face the concern and worry for my husband. But I didn't want to talk to anybody. Didn't want to eat. I was miserable, (laughs) helpless. There were a couple of people that came alongside me, though, and they had loved ones there, too. And one was Grady. Grady was precious. Grady's wife was critically ill. He came up to me, and he said, I notice you're not eating. Here's a banana. Eat it. You need your strength. And so that became somewhat of a ritual for him. He gave me a banana most every day to eat. But it didn't end there. It was a little thing, but it meant the world to me. He prayed with me. There were a couple of others that did the same. Not long after that, my daughter, Angie, (laughs) surprised me one day, and she drove up. Got there about one o'clock and she said, mama, I'm gonna stay overnight. Oh, I was so glad to see her, to have some family there with me. But I had a little bit of a dilemma. You see, I had a room that I had paid for in a sweet lady's house, but I hadn't paid for Angie to come there and sleep. And so I said, Angie, well, I can probably get us a hotel room somewhere. She said, no, mama, let's stay here. Let's stay in the waiting room because at night, I think we might be able to get a little more access to Daddy. Things will quiet down a little bit. And so we made plans to stay right there in the waiting room. Grady heard about that. Grady made sure that we both had a pillow and a blanket. It was a little thing, but it meant the world to Angie and me. The story of Jesus' encounter with this woman made Jesus even more famous. But there's something greater going on in this story that I'd like to lift up for us today. Because you see, in the midst of his encounter with this woman who was on the fringes of society, who was untouchable... Not welcome to be a part of that group. Jesus called out to her an endearing name. He said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Daughter, he called her. Pastor Ed and I were talking earlier. Ed said, I don't recall a phrase like that from Jesus anywhere else in the New Testament. If it was, he would often say woman. But to call someone daughter. That's a family name. He was calling her from an outside group into the in group. In other words, Jesus was bringing this woman back into the community, and he said that, I do believe, for the community's sake. This person who you had ousted, I'm telling you, she should be in, not out. He brought her back into the community. When I entered high school as a ninth grader, I was really shy. That's probably hard to believe now, talky, chatty, Fay, Right? but I was really shy and I came from a family of six children and we were a blue collar family. And by the time mom and daddy made the house payment and bought groceries and did all the other bills, there wasn't a whole lot of margin left over for the six kids, particularly when it came to clothes. And some of you can get alongside that, but I was so blessed because my mama could sew She was a fine seamstress, and she made me the cutest little dresses and blouses and skirts. But when I entered ninth grade, somehow that word got out that I had homemade clothes. And there was this little boy at the early part of that year that would wait till I was in a crowd of people, and he would come up, and he would pull that collar out just like that. And he could see that there was no tag inside. And he would yell out, you've got a homemade outfit on. This isn't name brand. Because you see, I grew up in the 60s and it was the preppy look. Peter Pan collars, little pleated skirts. You go to Taps or Lurie's or Haltawonger's, one of those nice stores and get clothes. We didn't have the money for that. I was blessed in another way, too, because I had a good friend named Teresa, and Teresa came alongside me in my embarrassment, and she said, Faye, don't worry about what he's saying. I'm your friend. I care about you. I'm going to introduce you to some other people. Don't let that get to you. I sort of did in a way. I started babysitting and making my own money, which wasn't a bad thing because I learned a work ethic at a young age. And so I went out and bought me some Bass Weegians. Anybody remember Bass Weegians? They weren't cheap. I got mine at Lurie's, I think. And so I was so proud when I wore those to school on the first day. And that little boy walked up and he said, those are cute loafers. But are those really Weegins? I kicked off a shoe and I said, look. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Jesus brought this woman back into community. Maybe you needed a Teresa in your life to bring you back into community. Or maybe you need to be a Teresa to somebody else. The Apostle Paul challenges us to extend help and hospitality to others. And my friends, we can do that in all areas of our lives. We can do it with our family, our neighborhood, our friends, our coworkers, and yes, people in the community, just like that waitress that I met this last week. Romans 12, 13 says this, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. People matter to Mount Horeb. I know that, I've experienced that on the end of being the recipient. Do we get it right all the time? Absolutely not. Do we let things fall through the cracks accidentally? Yes. Do we need to know about your needs? Yes, we do. But we strive to live out the scriptures that you've heard today. We certainly want to do what Jesus has called us to do here. Here are some ways. From the time someone pulls into the parking lot here, till they walk in the front door and are greeted by what I lovingly call our red shirts, our greeters, to being invited to stop by the guest services desk because we have a gift for you if this is your first time here. If you don't do that and we have an address for you, we will take that bread of life to you this afternoon We call you on Monday night if we have a telephone number or we'll send you an email or we'll send you a card because we want you to know that you matter. You matter first to God Almighty and you matter to us because you have come here as the pastor of congregational care here. I want you to know that people matter to us. I'm sharing that with you from my heart of hearts. And although we have pastors that make visits and do things for people, we couldn't do it all with a 4,000-member church without many of you who come alongside us to help people know that they matter. We will go to see you in the hospital we will go see you in rehab. We will send you a card. We will visit you when you're shut in in your home or in an assisted living or a nursing home. We will come alongside you in your grief. We have grief resources and books that we will give you. We have a Stephen ministry here that is vital. Men and women who are trained 50 hours to know how to come alongside you, man to man, woman to woman, in a crisis, in a hard time that you're going through. Just like I needed Greg Smith to help me along the path, to grab a good rock, to grab a good strong twig. You might need a Stephen minister in that way. A question I ask myself often, and I ask of you today, where, when, and how are you seeing and helping those in need? How are you exhibiting that people matter in your life? I think I can look out on you this morning and ask this. Who do you see? Who do you really see? Who do you see into their soul and know that they are in need? And do you have compassion on them? Not just sympathy, but are willing to come alongside in some way. You saw the video earlier from Candace Bartman. Candace has battled cancer three times. Not once, but three times. But yet, came to me. Pastor Faye, I think we need a cancer support group. Don't you? Yes, Candace, we do. Pastor Faye, I'll be glad to facilitate it. I'll be glad to take the lead with Tracy Irvin, who I understand wants us to have one too. Oh, but we would have some more Candace Bartmans that would be willing to take the initiative. And we have. We have had Doreen Michaels, who leads the charge on divorce care for adults, divorce care for teenagers. We have Patty Dean, who's currently leading a grief share support group here at the church on Sunday afternoons. And many others that are reaching out that have taken the initiative, both out front and behind the scenes, They answered a nudge from God, and we have an opportunity too. This church does so much already, but there's more that we can do. In a week or two, you're going to see something probably in your bulletin and maybe as an announcement called Night to Shine. It's coming in February around Valentine's. It's going to be a huge event. We're going to be a host church for this region, and we're going to need a lot of volunteers for that night. Our church will host and honor people with special needs to show them they matter. It'll be like a prom night for them. Isn't that exciting that we can be a part of something like that here? And that's just one of many opportunities to show that people matter, not just here, but everywhere. I love this quote from John Wesley. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can as long as you can. And then from Mother Teresa, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. All of us, you and me and others in this church, have something to offer to others Because people matter. One of my favorite passages is from John 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus is speaking here. He says, A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone, not just some people, Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Sometimes we need to show somebody that we love them before we can talk to them about Jesus' love. Amen? Why? Why? Because people matter. As Jack comes to lead us, In our closing hymn, we've a story to tell to the nations. And oh, praise God, do we. That good news story of Jesus Christ, but in that, in that storytelling, can't we exhibit his love and his compassion along the way to show everybody that they matter, that people matter to him, and they matter to us too. And the people said, Amen.